title of the message today is called Kingdom Restoration. I was in my devotional time this week, and this jumped off the page at me. I was sitting at my desk in my upstairs office, and my man cave is what I call it, and I read this passage, and it was like a hot coal came off the altar, and God put it in my bosom. And I started to weep because I said, this is right where we are. And I just want to share it with you today as it's on the screen. Just read silently. Remember when the Eternal brought back the exiles to Zion? It was as if we were dreaming. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were spilling over into song. The word went out across the prairies and the deserts, across the hills, over the oceans wide, from nation to nation. The Eternal has done remarkable things for them. We shook our heads. All of us were stunned. The Eternal has done remarkable things for us. We were beyond happy, beyond joyful. And now, Eternal One, some are held captive and they're poor. Release them. And restore our fortunes. Say that with me. I've, I've emboldened it up there. Here we go. Release them and restore our fortunes. Say it one more time. Release them and restore our fortunes as the dry riverbeds of the south spring to life when the rains come at last. We've definitely been living that part out around here this spring. I said somebody come in this morning as we walked across in the rain at 7.30 to get here to rehearse and warm up for the music today. I said, you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if we went the whole month of April without a rain. <laughs> Verse 5, here it is. This is it. This is here. This is when it hit me. This is when it slammed me and I started to weep before the Lord. Listen to this. Those who walk the fields to sow, casting their seed in tears, will one day tread those same long rows amazed by what's appeared. About three of you feel the Holy Ghost. I'm going to get it for you again. I'm going to read it for the hearing impaired. Here we go, one more time. Those who walk the fields to sow. Y'all, I can remember 10 years ago when I would take my shoes off and walk around this property because I was standing on the promise. I'd get out here early at 6.30 in the morning I remember when Bedford Little would drive by in his dump truck because he would haul dirt and he would toot that big old hard-sounding horn on that dump truck because he would see me and I would wave. I'd have a little, have a little dagger. I didn't have my big sword because it was too heavy. I'd carry a little dagger, a little New Testament, and I've read through the Word walking around this property because Joshua said every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, it will be your possession. And I was walking around it believing God to pay off a $330,000 loan that we had on this property. You know what? That is what grew the faith so that I could believe for 10 times that to pay off the building that's sitting on this property right now. Come on, give the Lord some praise. And I walked these fields. And I walked it and I sowed tears. I sowed tears of frustration and I cried out to God. And you know the Lord said, this is where you are right now. You are coming back and walking those same long rows and you are amazed at what has appeared before you. Those who weep as they walk and plant with sighs, get it, here it comes, will return singing with joy when they bring home the harvest. 
Everybody look at your neighbor and say, a harvest is coming. Here's our one thing this morning. Say it with me. When you sow, say it with me. When you sow a Bible principle, you reap a Bible result. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, when you sow a Bible principle, you reap a Bible result. Now, come on, with 100%. Give it to me now. When you sow a Bible principle, you reap a Bible result. Let's pray. Father, help us today. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you get in my words and my thoughts. I ask you, oh God, that, that this could in some way bless your people today. If it just is half as much as it blessed me this week in my worship time, my private time, my, my devotional time with you. God, I'm so overwhelmed that you've, you've, you've been true to your word. Every man, let every man be a liar, but our God is true. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for how you've answered prayer. Thank you, Lord, for how you've amazed us. People are saying, look what the Lord has done for them. Let us stop today with this psalm and say, look what the, the remarkable things the Lord has done for us. Let every individual make that personal this morning and say, God, I thank you for what you've done for me and what you're doing in me. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I say it every Sunday because I need to hear it and I need to say it. And I just say right now, I need you. I need you more than I've ever needed you before. And I need you to do what only you can do. I can't do it. God, I ask you to teach and heal and restore and strengthen and invest and challenge and correct. And Lord, faith and strengthen in your people, I pray. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. It's in the name of Jesus, the strong and matchless name of Jesus, that we pray today and all of God's people said... Amen. When you sow a Bible principle, you will reap a Bible result. There are things that we regularly emphasize that are part of my song. I got a song that I have to sing, and it's, it's words that God has birthed in my heart. You have a song that you have to sing. Nobody else can sing it for you. One of, my, one of the verses to my song is never quit. It's about perseverance. It's about hanging on. It's about not quitting it's about, come on, get up and get a fresh breath and let the Lord refresh you and start again, start a new day in the middle of discouragement, in the middle of frustration, celebrating in, in triumph, celebrating in tragedy. Sometimes it's difficult to do the things that God has set before us to do, but we do them anyway. Somebody say amen. You know, it's amazing. As a single young man, I could just about go and do anything I wanted to and had a little bit of money to be able to spend, not a lot, but a little bit. And then you meet the love of your life and you make a covenantal commitment and God blesses that relationship with the fruit of your loins and you begin to see children come and everything dramatically changes. You get a mortgage and a couple of car payments and kids have got to have braces. Drew had two rounds, had a corrective appliance and then had another round of braces and Every time I'd think, man, if I can just get rid of this payment, I can get me a new car. If I can get this baby out of diapers, I can do this. But as soon as I got out of diapers, it was something else that I had to pay for. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the priorities change because you begin to see things in a different light. You're living for somebody else besides yourself. And there are times when you... Do what you do, and you do it through discouragement. You do it through doubt. You do it just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't fight doubt just like you do. Sometimes I've been in seasons that were so dark, and I would go, God, are you even there? 
did you call me to this armpit of Arkansas? Are you sure you intended me to go to West Memphis and start this church? I really think you meant me to go to Honolulu, Lord. I really believe that you want a church planted over there that's alive for the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know, I, I learned that I, after I'd said for years, I will never go back to my hometown, that God had said, yeah, you just hide and watch, sonny boy. I got something up my sleeve for you. And so once I figured out that when you say never, that God will always check you on it, I started saying, God, I will never go to Honolulu. I will never go to Honolulu to pastor a church. And it's like, once I figured it out, it doesn't work anymore. It's like you get one shot at it, I guess. That's so old. I told that joke 25 years ago when I was frustrated in that God-forsaken building down there that we were in. And just trying to believe God to build a people, to build a team, to get somebody to catch the vision, to get some life into the middle of the place. I don't want to go through the motions and just do church. There, there are a lot of places that are good at that and not mentioning any names. You know, there, there's some good ones that are filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and there's some that are just basically going through the motions. And I'm not one of those kind of guys. If you're just going to go through the motions, just let me go to the country club, and I'll pay my tithe down there. I'll just, just be a social Christian. No, I'm all or none. I'm, I'm all in or I'm not at all. I want to I be a firebrand for Jesus. I want to be on fire for the kingdom of God. One of my heroes of the faith, John Wesley, was the founder of the great Methodist movement. And he said, do you want to see men come to Christ? Set yourself on fire and they will come and watch you burn. And I'm grateful today for a little bit of the fire of the Holy Spirit. That freshly, I believe that we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And this week I was freshly filled and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's everything. It's life to me. God's story can be told in four words. It's kind of the big meta-narrative. It's the macro. It's the, the big theological categories that real scholars put all of this into. And when we talk about the purpose of God, we, we see it in four words. God's story can be told in four words. And it begins, first of all, with creation. Everybody say creation. I, as, as a pastor at Victory Church, in the Mid-South, I just want to tell you, we're not ashamed of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We believe that God spoke and creation came into being. He said, light be and light was. Now, scientists might call it a big bang because I guarantee you when he spoke, it was a big bang. And it brought everything out of nothing into something. I don't back up from that. I, I love education. I love science. I love all of these things. But I'm going to tell you, when, it, when push comes to shove and, and we, we're going to have to make a choice, I will take the Word of God any day over any current or temporary theory that anybody happens to be able to set forth. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the story that God spoke. It says, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. In the beginning was... Uh, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit hovered over the waters. Notice there's always going to be a two-part mechanism when something fresh happens in your life. The Spirit comes and hovers and prepares, and then the spoken word brings change. Some of you here this morning for the first time don't really know about this whole God thing. You know that Jesus was a historical figure, but 
saying he's really Lord? I don't know, I'm not sure about that. That's fine. You're, this is a safe place. You can come and ask questions. You can hang out with us. You know, we, we're going we're gonna to throw an arm of acceptance around you and love on you. But I want you to know that when God began to speak all of that into being, his spirit hovered and prepared, and then he spoke the word. You'll hear the gospel today in this message. God has drawn some of you here. This is your first time to be here. Don't even know how you ended up here. People have been after you. Come on, I want you to visit this church. And you're here. And you know what? The Spirit of God has been working in your life for a while. Well, guess what? Here's the, the injection of the Word this morning. And this Word can ma magnify the bigness of God in your life in a powerful way if you receive it. So God speaks, and every creation day at the end of that day, after the earth appears and the sky and the firmament and the seas and the plants of the field and then the last day, the sixth day, he, he creates man, sets him down in a finished garden. At the end of every creation day, the Bible says, behold, it was good. I believe if you can accept this and not be put off by my possibly carnal usage of this word, I believe God was proud of his work. How many of you know he looked at it and he said, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job. This is good. Is that all right? Behold, it's good. At the end of all of it, he looks at everything at the completion, the finished work, and he says, Behold, it is very good. So when man and his helpmeet were there together, he said, This is amazing. Man, this, I have outdone myself. This is a grand slam. But you know, when you look at Genesis chapter 2, and you see the story where the very first time when God says something's not good was when he sent the animals to man, and man named all of them, he defined the creation that God had made. He called the rhinoceros, the rhinoceros. He called the octopus, the octopus. And all of that definition came into being, but they looked around and the Bible says there was not a suitable helper for man. Out of all the beautiful creation that God had made, there wasn't one that was commensurate. There wasn't one that could have communion, one that could come into being one, spirit, soul, and body. With Adam, And so the Bible says, this is not good for man to be alone. And he put Adam to sleep. Some of you wonder why your husbands lay around watching sports and are asleep all the time. The Bible never said that God woke up Adam. I want you to know that. Now, y'all go to sleep on me in this service this morning. I'll throw something at you. Don't push me. I'm teasing. It says he took a rib out from him and from that rib he formed a woman. And Adam looked at her and he said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to leave to cleave. And so they're joined together and God says it's very good. It would have been great if that were the end of the story. But here comes this thing that God made this damnable talking snake. Is that real, Pastor? You know, I don't know. I, I know there's a very real enemy, and the, the word serpent in Hebrew means whisperer. I don't like snakes. I remember one day, one got into my little small courtyard, a little short fenced-in area where I first built when Abby was a baby, and probably three foot long. I thought it was 14 feet long. And I was mowing back there, and man, I mowed that snake into a corner over there. And 
I had that thing chopped up in about 49 pieces before it was over with. In the name of Jesus, you take that. Well, pastor, you know the Bible says you'll take up serpents. I did with a lawnmower. Hallelujah. That stinking talking snake lied to Eve and she believed it. In the middle of all of this plethora of blessing, I like that word, plethora, multiplied millions of species of seed-bearing plants and every possible imaginable taste and herbs and, and fruit on trees hanging all over the place. And there was one in the garden that God said, you can eat of everything all over this. As far as you can see, everything here is yours to use and enjoy it. But there's one tree that's mine. Leave it alone. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here comes the snake, lying to Eve, who convinced her husband Adam, and he didn't speak up. How many times, men, do we not? Because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. When as men, we ought to be able to say, now, wait a minute. Hang on. Let's remember the word of the Lord. Let's trust God. God's true. Let's remember what the word of the Lord says. Let's remember the commandment God gave us, honey. Let's not jump the gun here. And too many times, men won't stand up and be men. Adam was silent when he ought to have been speaking. And he partook of the fruit with Eve, and they were plunged into sin and the curse came sickness death disease ignorance poverty confusion every imaginable thing came with the curse now there was no poison apple there was no magic fruit it was not some kind of red laced with cyanide kind of apple it was just the sheer act of disobedience it was high treason against the God of the universe who had given them everything they could possibly imagine, but they wanted the one thing that they didn't have. People, that's what we struggle with right now. I, I'm in the middle of blessing, overwhelming blessing in my life, and too often I look around and I'm thinking, well, I need that, I don't have that. And it's like, was that song here a few years ago? You know, it's not about getting what you want, it's about wanting what you have and being appreciative of the things you do have. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good already. Anybody hearing this this morning? And so we move from this concept of creation into the next step is the fall. We, we see what happens. We at Victory affirm the doctrine of original sin, that you don't mess up later and you accrue all of these bad things and then you're labeled a sinner. No, as soon as you come out of the womb, you are a sprawling, screaming, screeching little wad of selfishness. I, as beautiful as Baxley is, she is self-centered. And, and she's running that house right now. I don't know if y'all know that. Because every time she cries, everybody around her jumps to everything she needs. But as she matures, she learns. I remember when Drew walked to the refrigerator one time as about an eight or nine year old and he said there's no tea I said yeah that stuff doesn't just magically appear in there son <laughs> you know somebody has to make it let me teach you how to make it oh no that's okay I don't want it that bad <laughs> you know it's kind of the old give a man a fish you feed him once you teach him to fish you lose him for the rest of his life or you, I'm sorry you feed him for the rest of his life <laughs> And so we were born. I, didn't, I remember the very first time that, 
you know, you, you have two little kids together. Let's just make it hypothetical. I don't want to tell off on my kids. I've done that too many times over the years and had to go home and ask for forgiveness. You put two little kids together. One's about four, the other one's two. And the four-year-old smacks the two-year-old, and the two-year-old's screaming. And the four-year-old goes, I didn't do anything. And you go, who taught you how to lie like that? How many of you know, they come out of the womb knowing how to lie. We cover our assets, so to speak. We cover our backgrounds. We cover ourselves in every kind of way we figure out because we're born in sin. But you know, the story doesn't end there because theologians will go beyond that and they'll talk about redemption. And redemption is the fact that God sends His Son in the likeness of man, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He became the sin bearer, the sin offering for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So that we might fulfill the righteousness of God that is in the law, it would be fulfilled in us now by the Spirit of Christ. Not by my own merit, not by my work. Not by my own filthy righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ that is a gift to me that starts to change who I am down on the inside. And too often that's where so many churches in the Bible Belt South stop. But there's another whole category that so many times gets skirted under the rug, and it's the last big one. It is restoration. Everybody say restoration. And so that's what I want you to see this morning as we're talking about this message here today. In these four categories, go ahead and put that in that line for me because I want you to see the linear progression. God made something with a purpose. Man fell, God sent the resolution. He sent the answer. He sent the solution to the sin problem in His Son. He bought us back. When something is redeemed, when you take a coupon that you've cut out of the paper and you take it to the store to get buy one, get this one free when you present the coupon, you redeem the coupon. The coupon has value. The blood of Jesus bought you. Jesus shed His blood in exchange for your sinful self and for my depraved self. But too many times, that's as far as we go, we stop there. And we don't realize that Jesus became a curse for us, the Bible says. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So he came to, say this, reverse the curse. Say it, come on. Reverse the curse. That means you can be victorious over sin. You don't have to stay in the pattern and just know that you're covered with grace. You can get victory over it. You can, you can beat the drug habit. You can whip alcoholism. You, you can get delivered from sex addiction. You can get delivered from outrageous debt and overspending because you're, you're trying to medicate your own struggles by going to Macy's. Whatever we struggle with, any habits that we've been talking about for 10 weeks, Jesus came and redeemed this, paid our, the penalty for our past sin. But His power... He didn't just pay the penalty for the sin. His power now enables us to be delivered from that power of sin. Somebody say amen. And the restoration is that God wants to bring back everything the devil has stolen from you. What is that? Is it Dorinda Clark Cole? Everything that the devil stole, God's bringing it back to me. One of these days I'm going to have a choir. And God's going to bless us with some more African-Americans that can clap. <laughs> White people, they don't get it. They're on the one and the three. And the real clapping with rhythm is on the two and the four. Everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. Yeah, come on. Everything that the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. All right. Y'all are getting pretty good. Come on. If they say white men can't jump, let me tell you, white people are learning how to clap at Victory Church. 
Go ahead, give yourself a hand. Go ahead and put that diagram up for me. This is what I want you to see. I want to know where your starting point is. Too many times we go to church, and this is where God creates. Look at, is our starting point B with creation? And then C is the fall with man? We, we actually have a beginning before that, because in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, the Lord knew you. Ephesians chapter 1 says, God chose you before the foundation of the world. You weren't even a, glim, a glimmer in your daddy's eye yet because your daddy wasn't a glimmer in his daddy's eye or his daddy's eye. There was no creation yet. But in the mind of God, he knew you. He had a heart for you. And the Bible says he chose you before the foundation of the world. Now, that means you're something. Too many times we go to religious experiences and we get beat down every Sunday and you feel like you're just worthless and you leave and you're going, I'm going to hell. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And you almost get conditioned to feel like that you've not really been loved by the pastor unless you've been beat up. How many of you know abused women still love their abusive husbands? I, you know what? If you come to victory, you're going to wake up and realize there are no wife beaters around here. We don't beat the bride of Christ. Let that, come on, let that sink in a little bit. We're not verbal abusing pastors here at Victory. We'll tell it like it is. We'll be straight with you. Sin is real. Hell is real. Sin is dark. Jesus is powerful. And we're thankful that Jesus saves and heaven is real. Hallelujah. I believe in all of those things. But where, where is our starting point? This is what gives me purpose. Flip on to the next one. Look at this. I want you to see this. Men, religious men, pharisaical, legalistic religious men are ever confusing the part with the whole. You go to church and they start at the point where here's man and here's his fall and here's the redemption. God planted a cross right there in the middle of that chasm. Very seldom is there ever mention of the purpose of God before the fall that God made you for a noble reason to be a ruler alongside Him in the planet, to be a co-creator with Him. There's dignity in your life. You have significance about you. Yes, our forefathers sinned. Yes, it put something in my DNA that gave me a proclivity towards sin. But even in my brokenness, there is nobility. There is dignity. You have a reason to live. You have a purpose. God made you to be a world changer. But too many times they, they confuse his grace with his purpose. His grace is from WXY and his purpose is from A to Z. And actually he's out here before A with you in his mind already chosen, predestined before the foundation of the world. Here's creation. Here's, thought, here's man showing up on the scene. Here's, here's man and woman and snake and they're descending into the pit of sin and sickness and death and everything the curse brings. Jesus comes and plants a cross and, and then he moves us up out of that place of sin and degradation. And you know, most churches, this is all they ever preach is this right here, fall, redemption, fall, redemption. Come back next Sunday, we'll do the same thing with a little different spice. It's John 3.16 warmed over every week. I'm thankful for John 3.16, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible besides John 3.16. Matter of fact, does anybody in here know what Luke 3.16 says? Everybody knows what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Luke 3.16. 
Another verse in the Bible, it says, I am unworthy to reach down and loose the sandals of this man, but there's one who's coming after me who is mightier than I, who is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Yes, Jesus saves you. But there's some other 316s in the Bible you need to know about. You need to have the Holy Spirit surging through your life, being filled with His presence. Come on, somebody. And so, so many places, it's just man, fall, redemption. Man, fall, redemption. Man, fall, redemption. And the, basically right here, they say, tie a knot in the end of the rope and hang on to the rapture because there's nothing else for you here but struggles and troubles and sorrows. But this whole point of restoration is that Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he's come to restore everything that the devil stole. God's given it back to me. All right, go to the next one, and then I'm going to move on. The father plants his son. This is the cross in between man and the fall and redemption. But he does it for a purpose. He plants that one seed corn. And in the very same way that this spring, some of you will plant gardens, and you'll plant one kernel of corn... And out of that kernel of corn, first of all, there will come a blade and then the ear. Then there will come the full corn. And on that one stalk from that one seed, you will get at least three or four ears of corn that have as many as three to five hundred seeds on every one of those ears of corn. Jesus was the prototype. He was the seed that God planted because God is going to produce a whole race of new creation men and women that are made in the image of His Son. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. God made you for a purpose. We've got sin in our past. Everybody in the room does. There's nothing religious or pharisaical about this place. You can come in here with any struggle and we're going to love you. We're going to put our arms around you. We're going to reach to you and tell you Jesus loves you. Ain't nobody going to get up here and beat you down because there ain't a person in the room who's still not struggling with something. But that doesn't give us an excuse to stay in our struggle. We can get victory over it. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. All right. This is what I want you to see. Let me get a little sip here. This is what I want you to see. They had been exiled for 70 years. And God brought them out and brought them back from the Babylonian captivity and put them back in their own promised land. And when they sat around, as a matter of fact, there are 15 psalms in here from 120 to 134 that are called the Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T, like when you get on stairs and you ascend higher to a next level. They're also called the Songs of Degrees. Three times a year, the faithful Hebrews were to go to Jerusalem to the temple and appear before God in the season of Passover, this time of year in March, April, midsummer, Pentecost, and then the fall, September, October, it was called Tabernacles. And every season there was a high holy festival that they went to Jerusalem three times a year for a holy convocation. And as they would march up to Zion, as the pilgrims would travel the roads, they would sing these 15 psalms of ascent of degrees. And it would, it would remind them of their history of how God had delivered them from the power of, of Pharaoh and the bondage to slavery they, they were in. And they got delivered by the blood and the water and the spirit. And they would rejoice that God had done great things for them. And after they brought back from exile, they're over here about the middle of these 15 psalms of degrees and they start singing, man, when God brought us back from our captivity, it was like a dream. Let me tell you, the first six weeks I stood on this pulpit, I felt like I was a guest speaker at somebody else's church. I said, it's like a dream. I can't even believe that I'm in this beautiful facility 
And God's bringing new people and people are getting saved. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm amazed at what's appeared. Because we've not quit. Because we've not given up. Because Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season. Another translation says, At just the right time, God will bring you a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, Don't quit. Too many times we throw in the towel. We, we get frustrated. We get discouraged. And, and we quit. And God says, if you'll just hang on. I, it's like the meme you've seen on the internet or maybe on social media of the guy who's digging a tunnel and he's a foot away from the diamonds and he gets disgusted and he turns around and he walks away from it. And the guy eight feet under him is digging another tunnel and he just has a breakthrough because he didn't quit. Don't quit on the promises of God. Don't quit on your dream. Don't quit on faith because God can be trusted. His word is true. What are you believing God for today? Remember, remind yourself. It says, do you remember? Put this back together. Recollect this in your thinking. All of the members that have been broken, remember this thought. Remember this and put it back together. And remember how the other nations said, the Lord's done remarkable things for those people. It blows our minds. Remember that the Lord has done remarkable things for us. If you're discouraged, Get out of your pity party and stop and just remember what the Lord has done for you when he has answered your prayers. And I promise you it will inject a heavenly steroid called faith into your veins. I'm preaching way better than you're acting this morning. And I was in the middle of this thing and the Lord says, be reminded. And the people said, remember. But they stopped and they prayed and they said, but Lord, Wait a minute, we've got some people in our midst that are still in captivity and they're poor. Release them, Father, and restore our fortunes. How many of you know, everybody in this room has got something you need to be released from and something that you lost that needs to be restored? Everybody say, that applies to me. What are you asking God to release you from? In this new year, what, what, what do you not want to carry into the rest of your life? It needs to be different from 2018. What was stolen? What was lost? What did you misplace that you're saying, God, restore it to me? Some of you is the joy of your salvation. Some of you is a confidence in your walk with the Lord. Some of you is a place of security. Some of it is finances. Some of it is a relationship that's on the rocks. God, release them. God, restore our fortunes. When you sow a Bible principle, you reap a Bible result. Look at this with me this morning. This is my second point, and I'm going to finish quickly. We need to cultivate the habit of sowing because as soon as they remembered there were people that needed to be released from captivity and people that needed to have their fortunes restored, they started remembering, wait a minute, we're back in our own homeland. We've got to start sowing again so we can reap. There were seasons that I sowed prayers. There were seasons that I cried out to God as a parent, Lord, cover my children. Lord, be with them. If you think I haven't sown some prayers in faith in the last two and a half years going, God, please, please keep my children safe and protected. Abby flew in late last night and we stayed up until one this morning and we were talking and she was, you know, just saying, Dad, I just don't understand, you know, how you've built this amazing new church and you're in such an amazing place and why has it taken me longer to get through this grief? And I said, baby, everybody processes it differently, but you got to know that every day I've prayed for you and sometimes I've wept for you. And I've sown seeds, casting my seed with tears. And I believe that I'll walk those same long rows and be amazed at some point at what has appeared. And it, it blows my mind. 
This is where we are as a people right now. Generosity. I want to ask you to, to, to cultivate the habit of sowing as I close this message today. But it, it's not just about finance. It's, it's about generosity is a spirit that, that is the very nature of God because the Bible says, for, for God so loved that he what? He gave. God is a giver. The first law of love is giving. God calls us to give like him, to, to give love, to give friendship, to give forgiveness, to give pardon to those who've hurt us. I saw an amazing uh, illustration, a meme yesterday on social media of a guy who had arrows in his back and he's hugging the man with the bow and the, the, the arrows. Was it the quill? Is that what it's called? What's it? Quiver. Thank you. The guy who shot him. He's hugging him in forgiveness. And I thought, Father, help us. Because that's the part where the church in America has not really mastered yet. Praying for and loving your enemies. People who hurt you. That's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. So generosity is being willing to give and to give sacrificially and without expectation of return to forgive those who've hurt us and wounded us. Somebody say amen. Generosity is an indicator of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Four things quickly. Our giving should be, first of all, spiritual. Romans 12.1 says that it's a spiritual act of worship when I present my body to the Lord. Secondly, it should be systematic. Some of you are new to victory, and maybe you've never established the habit of giving. We ask you to serve on a team, give with your time. We ask you to give as the Lord has blessed you. We don't send out pledge cards here at Victory. Other churches do. We're not being judgmental about that. That's how they operate. We've from day one chosen to say that we were going to set our budget. We're going to do it in faith. As we grow next year, we'll raise it 2 3 5%, whatever we feel like the Lord will bless us to grow reasonably in. And so you've never been visited in your home. You've never been high pressured to pledge. And so whatever you, we just ask you to pray and ask the Lord what he would have you to give. We believe in tithing. We believe that the Lord has specifically said in Leviticus, in both Testaments, old and new, before the law, during the law, after the law, that tithing is something that believers, disciples of Christ practice. That I give to the Lord, not just any ten, but the first tenth. That is holy to the Lord. Leviticus says... If you give me the firstborn of every member of the flock, that's the tenth, he says, you're not giving me anything because that's already mine. When I tithe, I'm not giving God anything yet. That's already his anyway. It's what I give above the tithe that opens the windows of heaven so that I can receive a blessing. And so our giving should be systematic. If you get paid monthly, you ought to be given monthly. You see a need, you need to love people. and It's not all about money. You, you're making a trip and you see a sweet little lady on the side of the road with a flat tire and she's by herself and you get out in your dress clothes and, and you jack up that car and you change that tire for her and you won't let her give you a 20 because you're doing it as service. You're doing it as unto the Lord. And so sometimes it's sacrificial. All right, next it's spiritual, it's systematic. Thirdly, it is spontaneous. You see that need that's there and you give to it. There's a mother in the church doesn't have clothes for the next stage of the baby's life, wearing clothes that are too tight right now. You got clothes stacked up in the closet from your last three children. You know what? You got stuff to give. Pastor, I can't afford to give financially. You got all kind of things you can give. I've, I've had tight times in my life, and I will go through stuff 
in my house and I will take it to the mission. I will find somebody in the church that needs it. A family I heard had a burnout. They lost everything. I give away a piece of furniture, had an old washer and dryer that I had in storage. Come on, come get it. It's yours, free. I'm not going to sell it to you. I've given away two cars in my life. And they've got a bunch of miles out of them after I gave them away. I'm not patting myself on the back. I just learned to be generous because as the Lord blesses me and I bless others, he multiplies it back in ways I can't even begin to describe to you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Put your hands together and give him praise. Our giving should be spontaneous. And then finally this morning, our giving should be sacrificial. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I beg you, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. One amazing story in the Gospels is when they're taking an offering and Jesus is sitting there watching what people are giving. Now, how about that if that would intimidate some folk? The rich Pharisees are dropping by, dropping their checks in, wanting everybody to see. They're kind of holding it up so you can see the commas and the zeros. And a little woman comes up and she drops in the last two pennies she had. And Jesus said, hang on, boys, stop it. Stop the music. Stop the offering procession. This woman just beat all of y'all. What do you mean? Pharisees are upset. Jesus says, this woman gave more than all of you. It ain't impossible. We saw two copper pennies go in. He said, yes, but she gave out of her poverty. You guys gave out of your surplus. I mean, you know, Jesus pays attention to what you have left over after you've given and not necessarily how many zeros or commas. There's a lady and a husband and her husband in this church years ago down at the mall. He lost his job. She'd been diagnosed with a muscular disorder. And she was struggling, and we, we gave him groceries. We helped him so much, the way the church, I believe, is called to do. Prayed for him. And I told her, I said, if you will give something, every time there's an offering, if it's just a penny, I said, I don't care. Nobody's, no, nobody knows what anybody gives. I don't pay any attention to what anybody gives. I don't know. The counters look at it. But if you will do it as an act of faith, if it's nothing but one dime, dig through the cushions of your couch, go out to your car, and you'll find a handful of change. Put something in an offering envelope every Sunday and say, God, this is all I've got, and I give it to you. And y'all, it was a matter of weeks until he got a call and got a transfer and was in a job that was a dream job, making more money than he'd ever made in his whole life. And if you ask her or him to give you their testimony of how that happened, she would say, because we trusted God. And I listened to what Pastor Michael said. And I gave out of my, I gave seed instead of being conscious of my own need. That'll preach the rest of the day right there. All right. When we sow a Bible principle, what do we have happen? Reap a, say it again. When we sow a Bible principle, we reap a Bible result. All right. I, I'm a little bit over. But how many of you gotten something out of this today?